In 2010, Michaela Hart married John McAreevy, but what happened to Michaela on their honeymoon would shock the nation of Ireland and blot the reputation of the island of Mauritius, change laws, cause a possible death and highlight gross sectarian disrespect. Hey doll, it is time for a deep dive. Dive? It has, <laughs> it has been a while. This this especially famous case has been requested by one of my patrons, Kirsty. Thank you, Kirsty, for supporting the channel. It is truly a tragic, unsolved case that hits quite close to home. And to be honest, I got quite teary from time to time writing it. So <laughs> get your tissues. <gasps> Michaela Hart from Glencoe, County Tyrone, Northern Ireland, only a stone's throw away from where I grew up was born on New Year's Eve, the 31st of December, 1983. Growing up in a house with three brothers, Michaela was the only daughter of Irish Gaelic football legend, Mickey Hart. The Hart family life and passion was football, a common interest that bonded them tight. Michaela was very much a daddy's girl and was very incorporated into Mickey's GAA life, accompanying him for most of his trips, interviews and football tournaments. Congratulations to you, because I know you've been there every step of the way. That's right. Isn't Sam have. looking great? He's looking very well tonight, very shiny. There's a story I heard um, today in the canteen in RT, one of my colleagues who was in Crow Park last Sunday, and he said that uh, he wandered into the, the warming up area at half time. You were, what, trailing by a point at that stage? Yep. And there your guys were, uh, charging at uh, the tackling bags, <laughs> And you had dressed those tackling bags in the Kerry colours. <laughs> Is that true? There's an element of truth in that indeed, uh. yeah. <laughs> those bags had different jerseys on them during the year. There was dub jersey on them too. Don't talk to me about that particular occasion. That <laughs> and was, that was painful. Well. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's he like, Michaela, to be around in the run-up to a, a final? Um, really just the same as he is all the time, to be honest. Uh, it's us, as I said before, that do a bit of the worrying. Um, Daddy just, instead of watching videos for five hours per day, it goes up to about 10 hours per day. And if you want to get near the living room to watch TV, it's not an option. So it's just extra focus on what's happening. You see a little page lying around with different minutes of um, bits of action that he wants Pete Quinlivan, the video analyst, to, to get sorted yeah. out for him. It's just, it's just a lot more of the same real focus and dedication. Now, of all the... You're the only girl in the family. I'm the only girl, yes. And yet you are the most obsessed <laughs> by the football, isn't that so? Well, you know, that's true. I'm a big supporter, obviously, of Daddy and of the team. Um, I'm certainly not what you would call a fair weather supporter in that Daddy's been managing Tyrone team since 1991 in fact and I have not missed a single championship game so it's quite a good record. I was about seven when he started managing the team and 17 years on, I'm 24 and I still haven't uh, missed one match. Yeah. So. Now your, your loyalty to your dad is absolutely commendable, I have to say that. Michaela was basically an unofficial mascot for her father's team and she could have been considered like a mini celebrity in County Tyrone. In 2004, you were the Ulster Rose in the Rose of Tralee competition, isn't that so? Yeah. As you can tell from these photos, Michaela was stunning. When she was 20, she was the Ulster Rose at the 2004 Rose of Tralee, a beauty pageant where participants are also judged on their personality and suitability to serve as ambassadors. In case you couldn't tell from her Irish name, Michaela was a devout Catholic. She taught Irish and religion at St. Patrick's Academy, Dungannon, where she also ran the Pioneer Club, encouraging young people to abstain from alcohol, as she herself didn't drink. And you'll never believe who Michaela fell in love with, an Irish 
Gaelic football player, of course. The pair initially met as students, and shock and horror, he was the captain of a rival team. Have you got a man in your life at the moment? I do. I, I do indeed. Is he interested in football as He's much as you are? He's definitely interested in football. He would, he would have to be now to be any man of mine. Yeah, does he play? <laughs> he does play. I'm not going to say any more now because I'll get in trouble when I go back. Yeah, he doesn't play for Tyrone then? Not he? Tyrone, no. Ooh. Went a bit further afield. Did you? Uh, still north of the still border? In, still in the north of the country, yeah. All right, so, but it's not likely that they'll end up meeting Tyrone. <laughs> well, that's a tough one now, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, he's from County Down, yeah. and we, met, we end up um, meeting each other, the two counties this year. So there's a wee bit of tension for a period, but... Divided loyalties that's in the it. heart That's it, there was only one team for me. John McAreevy played for the rival County Down team, where my father is from and where I was born. John, an accountant, was the love of Michaela's life and could always make her laugh. They were very much a power couple and a perfect match. The couple married at St Malachy's Chapel in County Tyrone on the 30th of December 2010. It was a perfect, happy, fairy tale of a wedding day. And the next day was Michaela's birthday. Then on New Year's Day 2011, the new Mr and Mrs McAreevy flew to Dubai for the first leg of their honeymoon. Staying for a week in the city, then on the 8th of January, the couple flew to the island of Mauritius. A very interesting wee island off the coast of East Africa. Historically a colonial trade base, it has a very distinctive culture, influenced by the Dutch, French, British, Indian, East African, Creole and Chinese settlers. Like, I kind of want to go. Seems like fascinating. Michaela and John stayed at the Legends Hotel, a popular hotel for Irish newlyweds. Upon arrival, John tried his luck and told the hotel that they were newlyweds, hoping to get a free upgrade, and it worked. <laughs> room 1025, a bigger ground floor room located at the end in a section of deluxe suites, facing onto a small lagoon close to the pool. John says that sometimes he thinks back and he wonders... If he hadn't have asked for that upgrade, perhaps they would have been in a different room. And this tragedy would never have happened. On the second day at the Legends Hotel on Monday the 10th of January 2011, captured on CCTV footage, the newlyweds booked some spa treatments. Michaela sunbathed by the pool and John went and played a round of golf. Later, the couple reconvened and had lunch by the pool ending their lunch with a cup of tea. Michaela said that she wanted to have a biscuit with her tea. So at 2.45, she went back to the room to get the complimentary biscuits. John waited and waited for Michaela to return, but too much time had passed. They're having lunch right beside the room. About 15 minutes later at 3 p.m., John went to the room to see what was taking her so long. When he got to the room, he realised he didn't have his key card. He knocked on the door and probably called for Michaela, but there was no answer. So he went round the side to the patio doors, but they were closed and locked. And no sign of Michaela. John went back to the pool to see if maybe he left his key card there. No, couldn't find it. So at about 3.20, captured on CCTV, John went to reception to see if they could open the door for him. They sent bellboy Rajivi with him to open the door. On the way back to the room, John started to feel nervous. Quite some time had passed while he was looking for this key. And there was still no sign of Michaela. 
At 3.26, bellboy Rajivi opened the door to room 1025. John could hear water gushing and could see directly into the bathroom. He could see Michaela's lifeless body floating in the bathtub. John rushed and grabbed Michaela, pulling her out of the tub. He could see marks and bruises on her neck. John knew right away this wasn't an accident and started screaming for help. Rajivi rushed back to the room and John was screaming, go get help, go get help. John loosened Michaela's shorts for circulation and checked if she had been assaulted and he attempted to revive her. Instantly the bedroom was chaos. Staff members and hotel guests were coming in and out, offering to help as well as like comfort John. A security guard placed a towel under Michaela's head, a doctor came, they moved her body out of the bathroom and John was insistent they perform CPR, but John says he knew deep down she was gone. The first police officer arrived at about 4pm, 30 minutes later. However, it took over an hour for the room to be cleared and cordoned off. And if you're a true crime fanatic listening to this, you know that this crime scene has essentially been destroyed. Not only that, but over the next hour or so, the police nor the hotel imposed a lockdown on this very large hotel. At around 6pm, the Mauritian Major Crime Investigation Team arrived. They took John in to give a statement and for questioning. John was obviously upset by this, but you know, statistically it's the partner, so it's gotta be done. The police say autopsy results indicate she was strangled and that John McAreevy, who found the body, is not a suspect. The lady was found uh, strangled, the strangulation, she was found dead. The husband himself found the body inside the room. Maybe somebody was inside the room was was, was trying to steal something and she, she has she has surprised that person and maybe they that the person killed. Thankfully, police were not convinced it was John. He was so profoundly upset. He had no motive and his timeline made sense. He was captured on CCTV footage during the time of the murder. And police also had statements from hotel staff and guests saying that, yes, indeed, John was waiting for Michaela for quite some time during the time that she was murdered prior to the discovery of her body. Not suspicious, solid alibi, John was off the suspects list like that. Michaela was brought in for an autopsy. The autopsy revealed that she had several abrasions and bruising on the front of her neck and bruising to her collarbone. She was strangled from behind, suggesting no sexual motive. Her cause of death was asphyxia. Michaela's family were informed of the tragedy. Not only were the Hart family informed that their daughter and sister was dead, they were also told it was malicious. Police returned John that night to the same hotel. They didn't put him up in a different hotel, like what on earth? He stayed in a different room, thank God. But like, talk about re-traumatizing poor John having to walk the same hallways and eat in the same places. It's just... The very next day, January 11th, three male Mauritian employees at the Legends Hotel was arrested in connection with the murder. One with conspiracy to murder and two with murder. Only two days after the murder of his wife, police took John back to the crime scene 
to reenact what had happened. Honestly, the photos they got John to take is painful, haunting. He's in the same bathroom that he found his wife only two days ago. They also photographed him sitting at the same table where they had had their last meal. Witnesses and juries seeing reenactments like this is a kind of misleading. It embeds that person, that reenactor, into the viewer's recollection and memory. A similar thing happened with the famous sketch of the Unabomber. Never do reenactment photos like you are more likely to be like mixed in with the crime or accused of it or pinned for it. Police did this with the suspects as well, taking them back to the hotel to reenact and take photos like they did with John, apparently reenacting what happened. But how can you trust a suspect to do it accurately? It was Michaela's brother, Mark, who had to go to Marisha to positively identify his sister. And right up until the very last moment, he didn't believe it could possibly be her. A few days later, on January 14th, Michaela McGavery's body was flown home. Her remains were taken to the Hart family home in Ballygolly, County Tyrone, where she received a traditional Irish wake. Michaela's murder made international headlines and thousands of mourners from all over the country came to pay their respects. All of the political parties passed on their condolences to the McAreevy and Hart families in the Assembly today. Tributes were led by the First Minister, Peter Robinson. Mr Speaker, as you know, I am a father. I have a beautiful daughter of a similar age to Michaela. I love her to bits. It gives me a sense of the loss, but only a sense. For the reality is so much more painful than the imagining. Personally, as DUP leader, as First Minister, I want to convey the love, support and condolences of the whole community to the McAreevy and Hart families. Mourners came from both nationalist and loyalist communities, the Catholics and Protestants came together to pay their respects and offer condolences. A special mass was held in Mauritius simultaneously as Michaela's funeral, which was held in the same chapel where she married only 19 days prior. Michaela was buried in her wedding dress. Oh, it's sad. And this is where we will end part one. I think it is best to end here on Michaela and give our thoughts to her. As next episode, we will be looking at what exactly happened in room 1025. Who is to blame and why? We will cover the investigation, media, trial and aftermath. Thank you to my Patreon supporters and a special thank you to Kirsty for recommending this. It is sad and tragic, but an important case to remember and tell. Keep Michaela in your thoughts. Like, subscribe, share, slam.